Welcome to another interview from our Fixture Funnel interview series. I'm excited to have Cindy Zulsdorf. I always am afraid I'm going to say it wrong, Cindy. You got it. I got it. Okay, good. And your business name is actually pretty interesting too. I, I guess there's a story behind that. It's Kokoral Marketing, right? Yeah, Kokoral Marketing. K-O-K-O-R-O -O -O Marketing. Kokoral. You know, it might be a word that you've heard before because it's a Japanese word and it gets used for a lot of things because it's such an awesome word. And so can I tell you why I chose it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Kokoro means heart, mind, and spirit. Oh yeah. And so when I figure when we're doing sales and we're doing marketing, we want to understand both our clients, right. And who their customers are. And so yeah. whoever we're working with, we want to know what they care about the old what's in it for me. Right. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot because I feel like if you're doing marketing effectively, you're really in, especially with marketing automation, which maybe sound foreign to people, what you're really trying to do is expose the humanity of the business and just connect two individuals because ultimately that's what sales and marketing is all about is connecting two individuals to have a conversation. Change yeah. the way someone sees the world so that they can start including your company in it. Right. Oh, we're so on the same page with that, Ryan, because I always feel like marketing is really just sales written down. And one of the things when I um, talk with our team and, and our awesome writer, Kitty, will talk about it all the time is like, okay, let's read through this. And would you say what you've written in this email or in this post or whatever it is to someone if you ran into them on the escalator or if you're just chatting and picked up the phone? Because it's like, like what you said, marketing has to connect people. It's funny, a lot of people do go very corporate because they think that because big corporations use certain words, they're supposed to use certain words. And they don't realize the reason big corporations do that is because they're big, dumb, and stupid, and they don't know better. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. And some of my favorite clients, in fact, really my the sweet spot for me is working with smaller companies because of what you just said. We can have a conversation and say, hey, look, let's make this personal. And in fact, uh, a small company has that unfair advantage that they can be yeah. small and people know who they are and you can make their voice come through in all of the marketing. I love that part. I think that's why corporations try to create mascots as much as possible because they try to humanize or add some sort of personification of the, the business in their attempt to relate to people. <laughs> so true. Yeah. But that's, you're right. That's a great benefit that we have as small businesses. We have that ability to relate to people. At the end of the day, right, that's how, if you do sales, you're never doing it where there's not a person-to-person -person interaction. So I know some people go, oh, I'm B2B, but B2B still is P2P, person-to-person -person at the end of the day. Even yeah. more so. Yeah. I think even more so because it depends on the business, but the folks we work with, we work with a lot of high-tech companies, uh, not exclusively, but most of the folks we work with are in high-tech, specifically in the broadcast uh, media vertical. And uh, the buying cycles can be super long. I mean, it might be that ABC or NASA takes, you know, uh, six months or literally two or three years to make their purchase. And so my client who's selling something to them needs to have that conversation for a long time and they need to know, like, and trust each other. And uh, yeah, that's super important. Well, wow, that sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the six month to two year sales cycle. <laughs> it's normal though, right? Or do, do you think it's odd? 
Well, you know, I think when you're dealing with bigger companies or companies that have, you know, maybe more of a, a budget driven purchase cycle, you're going to have that. I just, I don't deal with those businesses. So to me, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> you're oh. I, yeah. It seems so normal. You know, one of my one of my favorite uh, folks to work with, they're based out of New York. They do stuff for studios. And we just met up in San Francisco uh, and they were doing an install at CNBC. And it's literally two people in this company, two people. Oh, wow. but, so again, love working with that size of company and we can take their voices and put it into all the marketing. But it is a long sales cycle for that type of client. Yeah, that, I think that makes having marketing and sales working together even more important because you can't allow things to slip through the cracks when your sales cycle is that long. It's so true. One of our most popular campaigns right now that we're doing with clients is we call it the no like and trust campaign, Ryan. I think it's right up your alley, man. Um, Sounds like it. It is. We'll do what we do is uh, just chat with them and go, Hey, so tell me about a recent sale. And then we'll take, we'll do, jump on zoom and do maybe a series of two or three or four short videos, like literally 30 seconds, minute, minute and a half, where they tell the story like, hey, I was over at this facility last week and I was talking to the chief engineer and they were telling me about this new change that they're digging into. And so in a video like that, Ryan, what they've just done is said who they're for, what they solve and really kind of get into that no like and trust piece of it all within the yeah. first seconds. Well, I like that content too, because like, like you said, you're in a highly technical field. And so being able to demonstrate that you understand the in and outs of the industry is going to be real critical for them to be able to trust Yeah, that yeah. you know what you're talking about when the time comes to actually saying, okay, now what should we be getting here? Because usually, you know, customers have a list of problems, not necessarily the solutions. At least it's better if they have a list of problems than a, a list of solutions, because usually their solutions are bad. <laughs> That's super funny. It's so true. And let me just, just tack onto that, too. Uh, some of the clients we work with are not high tech, too. So just if anybody's oh, okay. listening to this right now, uh, know that that No Like and Trust campaign can work for you. And I want to share that really to everybody listening, because that is one of the most popular and most effective campaigns that we're running right now. And we're working with another um, company out of the UK right now, and they offer more uh, like PR services, that type of thing. And okay. we're running the same type of thing with them. Again, a small company. Yeah, it's not, it's not just exclusive for high tech, but yeah. it sure does lend itself for showing the expertise. Yeah. So what's the rest of it? So you get these little short videos. What do you do? Yeah, we're looking for lead scoring in terms of engagement with the content. So maybe if they click on the video and the email, that kind of thing, and then we can see who's the most engaged. And then we're just super simple looking for a call to action on these are either to click to a white paper or blog post that is going to give more helpful information or offer a second call to action of, hey, book an appointment with us. So we'll often have two things that we'll shoot for, uh, a small ask and a big ask. The big ask is the biggest thing we want, book an appointment with us or get a demo. And the small ask is consume a little bit more of our content. And That's so we'll, we'll run those as an evergreen campaign for clients. So you're using their engagement to kind of trigger, hey, maybe it's time to have a conversation or what do you, what do you use it to do? 
we use the engagement to do exactly that. If the score gets to a certain threshold, then we would alert one of the salespeople just through a simple email or notification, an automatic notification going to them saying, hey, so-and-so's got a score of you know, 25. They're pretty interested. And then more specifically, though, the contact, the prospect could click to book an appointment directly. And, or we also say, hey, reply to this email as well, right? Yeah. Is, do you find that email is the dominant media in that industry? Email works very well. And the dominant media, great question. I would have to say it's, it's an all-around combo of trade shows, phone calls, in-person demos, webinars, a bit of texting, all those things combined and email for sure. So definitely multi-touch. Very cool. Yeah, I was just thinking about how you could you could plus that just slightly by having a conversation starter, text or email. You know, just depends on it. In some industries, everybody's reading every email that comes in because it's super critical. In other industries, emails, you know, drop through the cracks. So you can't just make a blanket statement about email being garbage, even though usually it is. But when, um, when you're trying to start that conversation, if you have that automated built in, what's great about that, if the situation allows itself to be that automated thing, is then the salesperson doesn't have to, you don't have to worry about the salesperson dropping the ball, so to speak. Ah, it's totally true. It's so true. And I'm glad you mentioned about the conversation starter. I, I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, but we were working with someone last month who did a presentation at an event and we set it up to where he was on the stage talking about, you know, particular, hey, there's a live shoot and we've got these cameras out here for this live event. And if you want to see how it's hooked up for this particular TV show, you can text this keyword to this number. And that started some really cool conversations with those folks. Is, is that what you're talking about? Or tell me more. Yeah. About so in, in, in particular, when I say conversation starter, I'm just thinking of a, a question that would prompt someone to respond. So mm. it can be delivered in a, you know, a number of different mediums. And it's best to, if it matches the medium wherever they start, you know, in some respects. So like when you're having a texting conversation, you know, I don't know if you went a couple of steps to gather like name or emails that you had some more information associated with that phone number, but then the final step would have like a question of, you know, that would start a conversation. And so it's really contextual. So there's, there is kind of, there are some formulas that can help someone who's like, ah, I don't know what to say, you know, which is, you know, like, why did you text keyword in today? You know, <laughs> that's an easy <laughs> one. But you could also, do, you know, if you're, you're a little thoughtful, you can create a really great question that would not be a yes, no question, but that would be an open-ended and that would be relevant to the topic that you know that they're talking about, given the context of the keyword and you know, how the keyword was issued as a call to action, et cetera. But that, yeah, so that just that, that the idea of asking a question that starts a conversation or making the statements are a little bit harder. I think generally questions are better because questions demand answering you know, at an unconscious level. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I like the question. But yeah, using that conversation starter is fantastic in sales because ultimately, like you're saying, sales is just this meeting of two people trying to figure out, well, what is it that you want and how can I give it to you? And what will be their exchange for that? And so just starting that conversation is can really accelerate even a long sales cycle by getting to the meat of what it is they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, even with a sales cycle that's six months to two years, there's a portion of that that's driven by 
the budget, right? And the bureaucracy when you're dealing with large corporations. But yeah. there's another side of all these equations, which is the human motivation. And given the proper motivation, we can, we can accelerate almost any sales cycle to the bare minimum of whatever the bureaucracy or the internal process demands. You know what I mean? Oh, I totally agree with you. And the thing is, is, is the whole sales 101 or even a little bit, a little bit to your marketing rule number 19, just where we have to people buy from people they like, and we got to think about when we get their info, what we're going to do next, what we want them to do next, kind of how the sale goes and stuff. So I feel like that's got to be baked into everything we do because we want to stay in touch over that two year period and be of service and be helpful and also know what, what we're doing with the info (laughs) as well. Well, since you mentioned it, let's go ahead and state marketing rule number 19, which is before you decide how to lead capture, know how you're going to sell. And that, that little rule, a lot of people don't think about, you know, I know you do because you're a professional and this, this is what you do day in and day out is build marketing and sales systems. But a lot of people, you know, that maybe are just running on their own, don't recognize they've got to think about, how do I actually want to sell how, or how do I need to sell so I can be effective and what kind of contact points do I need to do that before I decide how I'm going to lead capture, what I'm going to ask for, you know, it's kind of funny because you'd think maybe you start with your call to action first, but I think you really got to start with, well, how are we going to finish this process and then go to yeah. now how do we build a call to action that will justify us asking for the information that we say we need in order to sell properly. Oh yeah. Can I tell you the, for me, I, I had a, like a aha, the, the discovery I had around that piece. Yeah. Yeah. So I started asking everybody we work with, like, well, what do you want from this marketing? They all say the same thing. Like, well, I want, I want people to buy or, you know, it's <laughs> like, well, okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but the, the aha for me is when I started asking, what do people do right before they buy mm-hmm. or what do they need to know in order to buy? So do they need to know about a certain kind of technology? Do they just need to understand that piece? Or what are they going to do before they buy? And I started hearing from people, depending on the business, you know, okay, the thing they do before they buy is they want to try it out. Oh, okay. They want a demo. Okay. Mm. So then we know that's a step along the, the journey and stuff like that. And so we know that like, that's what we want to drive people to. Yeah. And then I might ask them again, well, what do they do before that? Oh, well, they usually look at the brochure. Okay. So now we can keep it simple. We don't need 10 steps. We can just kind of map that out and go, okay, so we're going to set up a thing to where if we meet somebody, we send them an email or a text offering them a link to that brochure. And if they like that and take us up on it, then we can send them the next thing that, you know, would you like a demo? And so we've turned some now what seems complicated and nebulous uh, stuff into like a few steps and those can become simple processes that get used in the business. I love that because it, it really is at the end of the day, it's simple. The most effective sales and marketing processes are simple. And if you, if you've got sales going on, that already gives you the prototype for what marketing should be doing, right? 
Yeah. Just like, well, what's your manual process? Well, that's yeah. great. That's what we actually want to automate. We don't want to come in with a preconceived notion of, well, this is what we're going to do. And then this is what we're going to do. We want to kind of listen and hear and go, okay, so how are you actually getting things done right now? Oh, great. Okay. Well then let's keep doing that, but let's put it in an automated fashion. I love that, that you've got that down to a formula that way. Yeah. It took a while to get there. And, you know, I learned to ask people, well, tell me about a recent sale. Because if you say, tell me about your sales process, the answer is kind of crazy and maybe yes. what they want it to be or what they think it should be or what they think I want to hear. Or it's a blank stare. Ugh, or it's a blank stare. So if we go, oh, tell me about a recent sale. And then, and then I'll say, okay, tell me about another one. Now, the second one's usually where I get some good info. The first one, for whatever reason, folks will sometimes talk about an outlier or something weird that happened. <laughs> of course, those are the things our memory holds on to, <laughs> right? So I'm like, okay, awesome. Tell me about another one, just like a different one. And then that second or third story is usually the one where you find out, oh, okay, they download the, the brochure and then they ask for a demo or to try it. Okay, cool. Now I know what the steps are. <laughs> I think that really hits on an important point, which is the importance of developing systems. That's part of your sales process and also your delivery process. But for anybody listening to this interview, be thinking in your own business, you know, what kind of processes do I have in place that allow me to get consistent results? Because before that, you probably were getting inconsistent results because your question wasn't as effective. Correct. So once you discovered, hey, this question actually is highly effective for me to get the answer that I actually need, you were able to replicate that and use that as a, a process that you had documented, at least mentally, if not physically. And, you know, a lot of businesses have these processes running, but they haven't documented them. So they can't inspect them and then question them and then improve them. Totally true. Okay. So now I know you, you have a couple of courses that you sell online and we were talking about these beforehand and there's a couple of them that you felt like have been the most powerful for people. Cause these are just, again, these are like extractions of what you do with your own clients. Totally true. What, what are the top two strategies that you find are most valuable to the businesses you work with? Yeah. I think the top two strategies are using a white paper guide or checklist. Okay. And then the other one is having webinars. Those two strategies, really their tactics are working so well for people. And let me, can I tell you a story about one of yeah, the absolutely. ones? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So cool thing. So I just started uh, the business, started Kokoro Marketing and was starting to work with a company and they're in the UK and it's a few people and we're chatting and I start hunting around on their website or their server and I find this guide that talks all about their technology that has like some really specific techie bits in it and some diagrams. And I'm like, Hey, you guys, what are you doing with this right here? Oh, nothing. It's something we put together a while ago. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I, I kind of knew in, in marketing automation. So I quick, I built like a really simple thing that just two emails that offer that to their existing customers. And so I tell them, Hey, I'm going to offer this to our existing customers and and then I'm going to offer it to people we don't know using social media. Okay, that sounds good. So I do that and they immediately get like several dozen people opt in. You know, I think like right away they get like 50 people who click through or download it from the form. And I'm like, hey, this is cool. So then uh, I just took that information and I split it out into, I think it was nine or 10 emails that's, that's it, like nine or 10. And I just, because it's a long, in this case, it was a long paper. 
there was a lot of really interesting info. And I took the info in there that was written in that third person tech righty way. And I turned it into like a conversation with you and I and it, Ryan, you know, if you were looking for this, you know, and turned it like that into nine or 10 emails. And then the call to action is, and if you're interested in, and then in this case, a demo, click here. And they suddenly start getting all these people where they used to have a couple people asking for demos every month. They jumped up to like 10 and 20 a month right out of the gate. It's so simple on its face, but very powerful. So that's really still running today with those guys. <laughs> that same thing, we've tweaked it a little bit over the years, but only to kind of like update the email builder so it's more responsive on a phone and stuff. But it's I still think that makes a really good point though, Cindy, which is that you don't need 30 million things running. You know, you need to identify those one or two things that really are going to move the needle for you and then just be consistent about using them. Yeah. Because yeah. I think people can get so enamored with the automation that they want to constantly be inventing new ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I know when we started our first business that used Infusionsoft, which, which we called Short Sell Genius, so it was a training company for real estate agents. You know, we just tried to find the one path that, that got the, the job done. And then we did refine that path over time, but we didn't create multiple paths. You know, it was just like, I don't need any more work than I've got. So let me just refine and keep this path working like a fine oiled machine instead of creating 30 different paths. And that created huge results for us. That's how we were able to go from like, we invested $237 of Trent's money and we turned that into 1.2 million or 1.3 million, like uh, 2.7 in 12 months. And it was just because we had that one pathway that really worked, you know, that was key to the whole process. We just kept working it, you know, throwing more stuff at it, enhancing it, you know, but never creating more paths than that. I think that's a mistake a lot of people fall into. Has that been your observation as well? That if they're given their, to their own devices, they just want to keep building and building? I feel like people get stuck in perfection. And so I'm all about iteration. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, oh, let's just give it a go and we can make it better. And so, yeah, maybe the building and building piece is like people want to make it better and better. And it it's fine. It's fine. Like the conversation that you have with someone on the phone isn't perfect. It's a conversation. It's it's good. Just go with it, right? And so Yeah. Yeah. That's my experience, I guess. That's my my take on it. There's the the Pareto principle that you know mm. is often shorthanded into eighty yeah. percent of your results come from twenty percent of your efforts. Yeah. Eighty twenty rule. Yeah, you know, I, I find that to be true in your marketing. You know, just about twenty percent of the things that you plan out produce eighty percent of the results. And what you're better off doing is trying to figure out that twenty percent through iteration versus trying to do a million different things because most of it's not going to work producing the results that you're actually looking for. That's why unless I had, I guess it depends on your sales cycle. If your sales cycle is two years, well, you got to go with a two-year campaign, right? (laughs) Yeah. And in some cases, you know, things are changing as you go along. So I find it's it's perfectly great to have a campaign that goes for a short time and then we might offer a new guide or checklist or video or webinar on the list. Okay, so even in those cases where you know you have a long sales cycle, you're not going to try and put the client through all the pain of creating two years of stuff. You're just like, well, let's start with something. 
Correct. And then yeah. as, as we learn more about the customer and the client and as you're interacting with them, we'll just model that and incorporate it in instead of trying to do the whole thing and finish it. Oh, correct. So to your point, what we do is generally kind of set up some quick wins where we'll have immediately offer a checklist guide white paper or do that no like and trust campaign that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And so we'll set up a mix of that type of evergreen uh, marketing stuff in addition to trade shows and events and webinars, things that are tied to a clock Yeah, and kind of mix them up. That works really, really well. I love your 80-20, the Pareto. I'm, I'm all about it to where I went crazy and just sat down and was like, okay, what are the main things that are working with our customers? And what are people phoning me up about and asking me how to do all the time? And I got it down to seven. So, seven so that's basics. how you came up with your seven models. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Seven basics. Not to say there isn't an eighth one or, you know, sure. one of them is. Those are the most common you. things you were hearing. Yeah, yeah. That, that defines another great principle, which is build what they're asking for instead of what you think that they need. Yeah. Because you can go a little crazy and go, you know, all into the weeds, but what you did was genius, which was to look and see, well, what are people asking for? And let's build that first and see how that goes. You know, and I had a really cool sampling method. So I have. Tell uh, us about that. Oh my gosh, this is, I was so lucky and it's so just fortunate to have the opportunity to do a lot of consulting, 20 minute consulting sessions with people. So what happened is I've been doing a bit of work with uh, an association and they're looking for ways to make uh, everything better for their members. And so one of the things they hired me to do is do a 20 minute marketing consult with any member. And so they just book on my calendar, which is all automated, thank God. And then I get the info that they've booked. And then I ask them when they book, what's the top marketing challenge you want to dig into on our 20-minute call? And you'll walk away with at least one actionable item and that you can just put into play right away. And so I've automated oh, the whole thing myself. Yes, I've probably had... Uh, 50 plus of those calls in the last few months here. And oh, so man, that can be great. It's so I mean, it sounds like a lot of work for someone on the outside, but if it helps you to understand what your market really wants, that's some of the most valuable information you can get. Well, and I get to help people, which I'm yeah. kind of just, I just love so much. And so people really are taking away a ton of value. I get hired to do this really cool thing. And I've learned how to very, very quickly distill which things will move the needle for that company. And so by the end of the call, you know, they'll come and say, well, how do I get more people to my trade show booth? Or once the leads come, what do I do next? Or uh, a thing that comes up all the time too is around social media. Folks will come, uh, get on a call. I had someone today saying, should I be using LinkedIn or Facebook? And is there a way I can get people who went to my website to see a post or an ad. And of course, as you know, Ryan, the answer yeah. is yes. <laughs> you know, I, th I really feel like there's a, there's a bunch of people who are just barely getting onto the, let's start using email marketing wagon. And, you know, it's interesting because as a, there's all these latecomers, you know, we'll call them latecomers because we've kind of been in this realm for a while. But as they're showing up, what they don't realize is that the whole game has changed, you know, just five years ago or so. And so while they're showing up to email, there I think that there's these new levels of marketing 
And, you know, you go on the front of these social media networks that have, you know, and I know they're going to, they're starting to be impacted by the changing cookie laws and stuff like that. But I think they're still going to be pixeling people. They're just going to use different ways until the regulators figure it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the regulators are going to say, well, you can't do this. They're not going to tell them what they can, you know, they're doing. They're going, okay, we won't do that anymore. <laughs> but what's going to happen is just that, that whole ability to track behavior before you even know who a contact is and use that to then focus your, your advertising on them is tremendous. I know I, I use that all the time. And I look at it as an extension of my overall funnel or flow for marketing. So I'm thinking, okay, what if I could just take an ad and push people to content? I didn't worry about asking for contact information. Right. Well, if you did that in the past, you'd be taking a huge risk. But today you can say, well, that's okay. I can do that. Because I can target those folks with another set of ads and then then do a direct call to action. And then I'm not coming off as somebody who's just looking for the contact information. I'm like adding value and then, I can come back after with another value add and say, Hey, by the way, can I get your information? Let's start having a conversation. And my experience has been, it's a totally different relationship that you form with the prospects. I know you're doing a lot of that. Have you seen that creating a different kind of dynamic with your prospects? I find that our clients are just happy that we're able to give more content to their prospects in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm seeing right now is it's offering a multiple, a kind of alternate touch. And so we're kind of shooting for that. And and that's kind of where I'm seeing it right now. I think it sounds like you've got a whole level of experience that I'm still seeking. So, yeah. There's a guy that started introducing me to this concept and then I kind of ran with it, but it was of using video views. Because if you use video views for cold audiences on like, you know, Facebook, yeah. What's great is it's very inexpensive to expose a cold audience to your content. Yeah. And then if they respond and interact with the content mm-hmm. in a certain way, now you could retarget those people. And so you can take a budget, like if someone has a fixed budget, we could take, let's say we take 50% of it and put it to cold traffic. But yeah. if we've taken 100% and put it cold traffic direct to a call to action. Mm-hmm it's going to be really expensive because that direct call to action ad type is way more expensive than the video views to a cold audience. So if you have this huge audience, you do the video views with half of your, your money. Now you you're going to be able to separate from the larger, you know, group of people, the smaller subset that's actually interested. Now I take my other 50% and I can put a call to action to that 50% with that 50% of my budget and it's going to be way more effective because I'm calling out all the interested folks with my, my first video. And then I'm doing a direct call to action with my second one. One, mm-hmm. the video has already established that rapport that's shown that, Hey, I bring value to you and I'm not asking for anything, which is totally weird in advertising. <laughs> right. But because of the way these tools work, if you understand how they work, then you go, well, I can do that safely. I'm not risking anything by doing that. Because Correct. I'll be able to re- retarget those folks. And so by doing this and being kind of a patient marketer, you end up creating a real deep connection with folks because they're like, wow, this guy just gave me value. This gal just gave me value. And they didn't ask for anything. And then, then the second time you come around, you add a little more value and you ask for something like, well, shoot, this, this person just is trying to help me out. And yeah. 
changes the the way that they view you from the very beginning. Yeah, being of service and providing value out of the gate is it totally works for me. I mean, that's that's the way we like to roll. So I guess that's a piece of the retargeting I like because you know if someone came to the website and now you send them some info on LinkedIn or yeah. Facebook that you're just helping them more. And you can also target it or you can you can be sure, hey, they went to this particular page, so I'm going to send them a video on that same exact topic. Yeah, right? you can use the context. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. one of the more powerful parts of market automation, mm -hmm. context. You always have context in every, because you don't just start marketing automation randomly. There's always some triggering event. Yeah. And so having that triggering event gives you context that allows you to talk specifically to what they're interested in. I think a lot of people miss that, you know, they miss that opportunity to tailor the conversation to what they're actually interacting on. They, they, they want to go generic and it's just so much easier when you have that context to have the conversation that's going on in their head already. And it just makes it that much more powerful. I had another question come up in my mind for you. You mentioned webinars is another place that you're helping your clients. Absolutely. What are you seeing working for you and your clients with webinars? Or how do you go about making it work for them, I should say? That's another problem that people have. That right there is actually the big challenge we find is folks feel like doing a webinar sounds like really hard and, and they might have to put together, uh, you know, 200 PowerPoint slides and spend, you know, a month getting ready. And what we actually do is make the process super easy for them. And so the, the method we use is to say, hey, what would you do if you're just sitting down and talking with the customer? And let's actually get you and one other person together to do this because that's kind of the easiest way to do it. And we just maybe get together on a rehearsal with those two people, figure out the main application or pain point they want to talk about, maybe three key points, and then as in all marketing, figure out uh, what's the call to action, you know, in the ideal circumstance, what would we like the viewer, the participant to do next, lay that out. And then we set up the promo, the, the automation, the registration, and we even hang out with them on the webinar. You don't see us, but we're running the chat and helping people. So that's the service we do. And then, as I mentioned before. That's really, you're really holding them by the hand the whole time, which is great. Yeah, I try to keep it like literally they can spend, you know, 90 to uh, 120 minutes on the whole project that we will make it so easy for them. I was in a conversation with one of the directors at No BS Marketing, or I, I don't know what, I think they're called Magnetic Marketing now. Yeah, yeah. And Kennedy's organization. Yeah. And we were, as we were discussing, we were talking about this need to help the client get the outcome that they're after versus just giving them stuff, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I love what you're doing with your service because I know that we're not in that business. So we just tell people, go do this stuff. Right. <laughs> and so often people will get caught up in like, I don't know how to do this, you know? Correct. So like, uh, go do a webinar. You or I, we just like, okay, that's fine. Go, we'll go do it. Cause we have done it so many times. We're yeah. just super familiar with the process. But for some folks, you tell them, go do a webinar. It's like you're saying, they're like, well, I got 200 slides. Like, what am I even going to say? And they'll get totally lost. The fact that you help them create that and then 
that's like half of it. The other half is now I have to do this. I got to present this. <laughs> yeah. And freaks some people out. So for you to be able to go in there and help hold their hand through the whole process just makes it so easy for them to then get to the result. I mean, that's fantastic. I well, really, we, really we took that system. We took that system, Ryan, and made a class out of it so that if somebody doesn't want to hire a company to help them do it and get it sure. done, and they're like, I totally want to learn how to do this. I got this. We put that together. And so somebody can just take our class and we, I lay out exactly, here's how we do for our clients, the before the webinar, the during the webinar, the after the webinar, the whole thing. And so somebody could go through that and I'll just um, shoot out the info right here and I'm sure you can put it in the show notes. So if anybody just wants to get info about that or see what we offer, they can text FMTS, which stands for from marketing to sales. Cause I feel like what you do for marketing should lead you to sales. So text FMTS to 530-203-5703, which is my phone number. And you'll yeah. get a little bit of info about it. So okay. those are available. You're probably and asking for their name and their email and then and give them the information about those courses. I do. I do. And we've got tons of free blog post info on our, on our website as well, which is kokoroinc.com that lays it out as well. Like you could probably glean a ton from that, but the course really is super helpful. You know, there's so much education from so many experienced people like yourself that's available for anyone that wants to really learn, you know, so getting a course like this from Cindy is just fantastic because you can shortcut getting to that result because you have someone who's got a bunch of experience doing this for a bunch of their clients and they've just refined it from that experience versus just saying, Hey, I want to create a course. Cause I know you didn't come out of the gate saying, well, okay, I'm going to create a course. How do I go about doing that? Yeah. You were helping clients, helping clients, helping clients. And you had a few people saying, Hey, I'm not quite ready to hire you. How can I do this thing? Exactly. And you said, well, look, I'll just do a course to help them do that. I love it when courses are created from that perspective because they're always going to be more effective at helping you get to the result than when we create a course to sell versus having the course be a natural flow of helping people. And no, yeah. no offense to anybody that has gone the other direction, but I just think your course is more refined when it comes to, I've done this a million times. Let me show you how I do it. I just feel like when, when the course is created in that way, it's just so much more effective for the learner. And the, the fact that you can get that kind of education at the price that, that these courses come at is just fantastic. So thank you for putting together this course. I know it, it's not easy to put together a course either. That's yeah, but I like doing it because I felt like I was doing this course with anybody who would ask me. I would sit down with them and tell them stuff. And I'm like, I got to formalize this so that I can benefit more people. And so, great. yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I, I know that those who are listening will have enjoyed it. Appreciate it again. I'll, why don't you say that keyword and phone number one more time for folks that are interested? But what was that keyword and phone number? Yeah. So the keyword is FMTS, which is short for From Marketing to Sales. So FMTS, and the phone number is plus one five three zero two zero three. Five seven zero three. So just shoot us a text. Cool.